So welcome back to the Conspicuous Podcast. It's Monday and we've got part two of James Sinclair's presentation. Now, if you're listening to this episode and haven't listened to any previous ones, I do strongly recommend you jump back to our previous week's episode, which is part one. Uh, this was a presentation that we took from Global Entrepreneur Week, which we ran in Staffordshire, where we put on an event for 100 plus delegates to come and join us for networking, presenters. We had a, a people's panel of um, business owners that have done exceptional things in the community. And it was all set up by Sarah White. And a number of people like myself helped support it year on year to put on an event like this. So I just really want to show you exactly what goes on in these events, just so you can get a taste for what will happen in 2017. And if you're interested in booking on that and, and you think, yeah, I, I just want to hear more of these kind of speakers, you can do that now. You can go to gwstaffs.co.uk and you can book your ticket for 2017 and join us. It'd be absolutely fantastic to see you there. But for now, enjoy part two of James Sinclair, The Millionaire Clown. Uh, rule eight. Okay, so here we go. We build systems and processes. This helps manage the objective. So you build a business and you start systemizing it straight away. And some businesses are easier to systemize than others, but you must get going. I spent the day with Pretamanja. Anyone heard of Pretamanja? Do you have that in Stoke? Yeah, the big sandwich. Sell Basically, in the UK, they sell a billion quid's worth of sandwiches and coffee. It's a massive, massive business. Uh, it's in China, Japan, America, all over the show now. Um, anyway, so I spent the day with the operations manager for Pretamanja. What a day. What a day. Boy, have they systemized and processed that business. You would not even dread or dare to think how systemized the making of an egg mayonnaise granary sandwich just is. They have a separate spoon for each portion of each sandwich they make. They have the Encyclopedia Britannica to tell you how to run a shop that is about the size and corner of this room. I remember being fascinated by it, and I will take this little story to my grave. Certainly the operations director told me that. I said, wow, it's just amazing. We were in the kitchen. I said, this is so organized. I said, do you know my favorite thing we do here at Pret? I went, tell me, tell me, like the sponge taking in all the information. He goes, come here, come here, opens this cupboard, all of the operations manuals are there for any other team to see. He pulls it out. He says, read page 196. Okay. I'm going through page 196. Title, how to sweep the front of the shop. Little diagrams of how to sweep the front of the shop. Okay. I said, that's amazing. He really thought about every single little detail. He said, flick it over. <laughs> okay, well. How to sweep the front of the shop in brackets on a rainy day. <laughs> that is the level, ladies and gents. That is the McDonald's level. That is the Apple level. That is the pret level. Because the thing is, on like, the things that you see, I, I have this, what I call the nine E's in our business for management success. And one of those E's uh, that we try and teach our managers is having the eye for detail. That sweeping the front of pret and making sure there's no fag butts or chewing gum on the floor is back of mind thinking, but really important. And that is how you systemize and process your business. Because you guys, as business owners, will naturally have an eye for stuff that your team won't have. So you'll walk in and you'll see stock in the hallway. Why, why is that there? Why is that there? It's your fault because you haven't systemized and processed it. That needs to be written down. All hallways must be kept clear. 
And that's what I do at Prep. No stock must be left anywhere in customer visibility. And do you know what you do at Prep? You want to make a latte for them. You have to go on a two-week training course in London, wherever you work in the UK. And you go through, and there's this banner atop that you go through. It says, the next CEO of Pret walks through these doors. And it's, it's like a, a room this size. Everyone has a course on the Pret philosophy, the Pret vision of good food and some of their recipes. And you have to make some of the recipes so you understand how passionate they are about food how passionate they are about customer service and how passionate they are about making everything systemized so you get the same day in, day out. That's why I'm a big fan of McDonald's. Can't just... McDonald's is, like, amazing. How you can walk into a McDonald's in Birmingham or London or Glasgow or Edinburgh or France or Spain and the standard is the same. It's because they write everything down. They have systemized and processed the business. Why do banks like lending to franchises? You want to start up a Costa franchise or a Subway franchise, banks are ready to lend because they know it's a systemized, processed machine that works. You want to add some value to your business, you create the encyclopedia of how to manage your business, how to manage the objectives you set. Entrepreneurs cannot do that, managers can. You just set the objective to the manager to make that happen. Why do I like day nurseries? Because there's a little organization called Ofsted. And they play a big part in me able to open more day nurseries. They have created an operations manual that we cannot veer off of. They have created the system and the process for me. It's amazing. You cannot veer off of it. The staff know what's expected of them. The managers know what's expected of them. The owners know what's expected of them. The parents know that they're going to get a consistent delivery. Systemizing and processing your business into an encyclopedia of excellence will take so much time, so much work, but it's worth doing. See, the real reason that I've... See, I wrote this book really for my team so they understand my vision of where we want to go. They understand how I think, how our philosophies. It's all part of this creating a systemized beast. Okay, here we go. Um, hands up if you're enjoying this so far. Anyone enjoy? Do you want me to carry on? Okay, so here we go. Now, the next thing, you are a master of sales, persuasion, and communication. It's really simple, team. Um, if you cannot powerfully pitch, if you cannot powerfully pitch yourself to a room, to an organization, or do stuff like this, or even um, in a small group like this, oh, I'd really like to pitch for your business and be able to confidently go, hello, really nice to meet you. You look fantastic. Where's that old Primark? Okay, so if you cannot do stuff like that, if you cannot be confident and be able to um, tell a story and be proud of your business and communicate with your team and stand up and say, look team, we're going to really look after our customers this year. We're going to do more. We're going to be the best. We're going to be able to communicate like this and be able to spin around or whatever you want to do. If you cannot be able to stand up and present and or sit down and present powerfully and understand and communicate even to small groups, you will have a limiting success factor in your business. And it 
can be taught. Now, obviously, it comes, some things come easier. To, like, this is obviously comes easy to me. But can I sing? No, I can't sing. But I probably could be taught a little bit how to sing just okay. But some people are really bad at this stuff. Who's been to um, other conferences? Anyone ever been to a conference? And I've been to other conferences. And I sit at the back and I think, do you know what? I'd pay to be in church right now. That's, that's how I, I, I feel like in, in a different language. I'd pay to be in church in a different language. I'd be paid to be in a church in Japanese rather than go through the next boring two hours of what you should be doing in your HR department. So no one will listen to you. And that is why I do believe if you can entertain people, they have an unlimited attention span. You've got to make yourself really good at communicating. It's really important that you practice and you do this stuff because people will believe in you. Then they will follow you. And you will attract the best people to come and work for you. It's so important. It's really important that you create amazing rapport with prospects. See, the first thing people notice when I come on, I do something, and I'll give you this little bit of a bit of advice, is I do something which I call breaking state. So I know that usually I, people put me on at the end of the day at most conferences uh, because people are, oh, my God, there we go. And I know that I need to break stakes. So I'll come on and I go, ladies and gentlemen. And they're all thinking, oh my God, what is this? What is this guy? Not what I was expecting. I got my iPhone out. I was going to catch up on emails while he was talking. Now he's annoyed me. I best pay attention to why he annoys me. Breaking state is something that I do it with humor. I've seen other people have a go at someone. They come on stage and they go, why are you not listening to me? Oh, the room's like, fucking <laughs> Why are you not listening? Or they bang a table. They go, <laughs> I go whoa, whoa, whoa. That hurt, actually. <laughs> and they break state. And therefore, the whole room is on them. It's a typical thing to do. Or someone will dress well when they come into a meeting. You think, God, he looks sharp. Broke a bit of state really important. It's the other reason why I tell that joke about the mother-in-law that I did today. I thought, oh, how am I going to break the state with this lot? You know, because uh, we just had some stuff about what's been going on last year. I thought, oh, God, I could see eyes going down a bit. I thought, well, I've got to really bang into the room so they don't like me very much at the beginning. And that is always something that I like to do because people think, hang on a second, I'm at a business conference here. I'm at a business conference. I don't want to laugh. I want you to tell me something, idiot. Make me more money, idiot. And, and, and this, I can see little bits of anger in their face. I think, yes, broke state. Because when you're a little bit angry with me at the beginning, you are really paying attention to me. If I see anyone, I, I, I'm looking at the front row. No iPhones out. Everyone's like, hmm. Lots of people, conferences where I go to, if they're boring, brilliant, I'll catch up with work. Matt comes out, ding, 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 thank you, catch up. That doesn't happen with me because I just won't let it. <laughs> okay, and, and I'm just quick, so body language and tonality, you'll notice that I do things, that some, I mean, I even stand up on a stage, I go, yeah, I bring my tonality up and down, I'm making eye contact, I go up here, I go down there, I go around here, and you're thinking, my God, what's he on? And I go around the room, it's really, really important. Stuff's really important. You want to be a powerful leader. Churchill, Brad, you know, you know, the amazing speeches, all the different tonality, even Matt years ago. 
really important in order to get people to follow you, you've got to get good at sales, persuasion, and communication. Cash flow and accountancy. So I'm the guy that turned two million quid and didn't understand what management accounts were when I was 23 till someone told me, do you not do monthly accounts? Now wait till the accountant tells me how much money I've made. Dickhead. So we don't want to be doing that. We want to do cash flow and accountancy and we want to produce a monthly profit and loss. What do we want to produce? Oh, you're so sexy, people. Yes, we want to produce a monthly profit and loss, and we want to create a five-year budget going forward. I am no mathematician genius, but I absolutely love receiving my monthly profit and loss. It is how I run my businesses. I buy businesses on the back of management accounts, not year-end accounts that have been fluffed up by an accountant that do not tell the real story of a business. You want raw management accounts to run your business. Can I have some of your water, please? Thank you, madam. What's your name? What's your name? Pam. Pam. Can I call you Pam? You can. When can I call you? Eight o'clock tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Hook, line and sinker, Pammy. <sighs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, Pam. Um, so, yeah, we want to know. One of the big things, we're just a monthly profit and loss. If you are not producing one, and even if you think you're only turning £60,000 a year, £30,000 a year, you're just starting out, still produce a monthly profit and loss. The first thing I did within my businesses was I employed a bookkeeper. Now, I don't know what a bookkeeper costs in Stoke, but in Essex, you can get a really decent bookkeeper for like £15 an hour. How much does an accountant cost? £300 an hour. Within a year, I was telling my accountant how much money I'd made, and then I used the accountant for strategic planning, for tax efficiency, what we're going to do next year, help to raise money. Do not use your accountant as a bookkeeper. You do the bookkeeping, no matter how small you are, because that will start to give you a very decent financial understanding. And once you start getting your monthly management accounts and you use them and you study them, you will start to build a far more successful organisation, period. Let's move on. So, there we go. We know the most important three KPIs of business. Okay, so average customer uh, spend per head. So we've come to that. I didn't think it was on here, but it is. So my three KPIs to run a really successful business um, is produce monthly management accounts. That's number one. Please write this stuff down. If you're not going to write anything else down, write this down. The three KPIs to run a successful business. Number one, number one, we produce monthly management accounts. Number two, we know the average customer spend per head of the business or the average customer value. We know that. Number three, the percentage staff spend to turnover ratio. And I think you don't need 48 KPIs in your business. You need those three. I'll tell you why you need those three. Monthly profit and loss will tell you the financials of the business. If you made some money that month, or made a loss that month. Average customer spend is the best KPI. So in my business, we've got restaurants, we study spend per head on a daily basis on our food spend. And if spend per head's up, brilliant. If spend per head's down, but the same amount of customers are come in, why is that? Oh, because we haven't got till trained people, we haven't got enough tills, or there was too many queues, like this place, right? I guarantee you, if they have a, a day where there's only 3,000 supporters in, 
their spend per head will go up on food and drink. But if they have 20,000 people in, spend per head will go down. Because it's busy. And people can't buy stuff easy enough. So that gives you the data to work out, how can we change that? Do we need to train the staff more? Do we need to lay out stuff better? So important. If you own a sofa shop and you track your average site, we've got, um, we had 500 people come in today, we only sold that many sofas. Hmm, what's going on here? The average customer heads out, or the, they didn't buy the puffy with it. Right, we need to train that salesperson over there because he didn't quite do what Dave was doing over there. Let's get Dave to shadow him. Let's give him 20 minutes of training each day. Remember, it's only 20 minutes. What is it? Get him over there. That will infuse him to do better. Average customer spend per head is the big thing that we need to be tracking on a daily basis. If you're an accountant and you turn £1,000 a year and you have two customers, £500 a year, how can we get that accountant to be getting £750 a year? Uh, oh, you know, we do a consultancy service now where you can come in, spend some time, we can do some financial planning for the next year ahead. Oh, okay, I'll come in for that. That's increased the £250 spend per head. Just, you know, some... Now, the next thing, turnover to staff ratio. Every industry has a turnover to staff ratio. Does anyone know, um, is anyone in food in the room? Anyone got restaurant or catering or anything like that? Well, do you know what your turnover to staff ratio should be in your industry? No more than 30%. I think that's a little bit rich myself. But um, yes, okay. So we've got 30% for catering. Uh, we call this food. Anyone else got another industry in the business um, of... Uh, anyone else in a service business? Anyone else service? Anyone? Shut the front door. <laughs> yes. Is it yours? Is it really? What's your turnover to ratio? Do you know what it's meant to be? Uh, 12%. 12%. Do you get that? Yeah. Wow. So leisure is usually 25%. So well done you. I'd like to see you in three years to see if you're still doing that. After your, how long has it been open? Uh, 10 months and 27 days. 10 months. Call me up in 36 months and see if you're still doing that. I will be amazed and I will eat my hat three times. Anyone else uh, in another industry, another industry like something completely out of uh, food and leisure? Someone like, uh, yes, madam. Ironing. Wow. Okay, so do you know what your aim is? Do you know what, what this will help, love? Do you know what your, do you have a labour percentage turnover ratio? Right, okay, so let, let, let's take you as a case study. Um, do you know what your turnover a month is? Go on, go for it, just shout it out. 1,800, and how much do you spend on staff? 900, so you're 50%, yeah, roughly, yeah? Well, not roughly, that's what you are. Okay, so, so we're going to call you service. Okay, so... Now, if you're in retail, I just want to add this into the mix. If you're in retail, it's about 10%, 10, 12%, right? Okay. Now, what happens here is this guy here, I'm going to talk about your business, the Mr. Trampoline Park. It's a new business, it's a new phase, it's like a nightclub. When it opens, loads of money is made. The first year is always the best year. In all my leisure businesses, first year, always the best year. So what do I do? 
I overemploy because I think this gravy train is going to continue. Your leisure point here at 12%, you want to be saying to your team all the time, we never go over 12%. So you can spend as much as you like, but it don't go over 12% of turnover. Your food one here, I'm going to take this guy out now. I want to talk about you. If you turned around and said, right team, we're now 25%. Good. So you're going to say, it's now going to be 23%. Just say. We're going to make this 23%, and you're going to track it each day on a weekly income sheet, on a daily income. So turnover goes in, and then you work out the hours that you spent on staff. So add everyone in on a generic hourly rate. Include the managers, owners, everyone that's in that day. Maintenance, whatever it is, 23%. And if you keep it to that on a month-to-day average, because I understand... You're going to do like 10% on a Saturday and then on a Tuesday you'll be 60% because no buggers come in. I get all that. I'm in the game. I understand. So we want a month-to-day average. We want to work it on a month-to-day-to-day average. But what happens is people start having these moments of glory in their business and then they overemploy that person before they should. And then that eats at the profit because the biggest overhead in most businesses walks on two legs. They walk on two legs. So controlling it is really important. Now, you don't want to go under it either because then you get bad customer service and people start leaving the business or your spend the head goes down. So you work out whatever your industry is, you have a percentage labour to turnover ratio and you stick to it. That's the next KPI. I think we're going to have to quick go through. How long have we got, madam? 20 minutes. Oh, I'm panicking. Um... Uh, okay, now you need to know how to raise capital. Hands up in the room who could raise a million quid tomorrow? Pick up the phone and get a million quid in their bank account? You need to know how to do that if you want to be successful. If you want to open a big, successful business, you need to know how to raise cash. I'm not going to go through this now um, because we just really haven't got time. And there's some other things that I want to talk to you about. I, need, I can teach you this stuff. Um, now, this is what I do want to spend some time on. Now, a very good friend of mine, Daniel Priestley, came up with this uh, graph. I call it the business life journey, and I've added some things to it. So, hands up uh, who turns over a million quid in the room. Is anyone in that turns over a million quid? Okay, it's good. Brilliant. So, a business life journey is like this one that I've done over here. I'm just going to do it in the middle in case you guys can't see it. And we sort of recognise there's different stages. There's got the startup, then we've got the struggle, then we've got the lifestyle business, and then what I call the entrepreneur over trading, and then we've got the profit and scale business. So this happens in a lot of leisure restaurants, businesses like this guy here. He might want to open up another two trampoline parks. That would be called over trading. And there's only one of him, and he splits himself three ways. I did it. I had like to one place enter, then I had seven very quickly, and I couldn't afford the management team to keep the consistency really well. Happens with restaurants, good friend of mine, he had five restaurants, now he's got two restaurants, he makes far more money with the two restaurants. Um, so that's what we call entrepreneur over trading. And I've put these sort of numbers here, I don't know if everyone can see this, so if maybe zero to 50k would be a startup business, 50k to 300,000 would be a, a business struggling, finding its feet, but we're getting there. The next business will be the business between 300,000 and 2 million pounds. 
And those businesses over here are the best businesses, the ones that turn between 300 and 200,000 pounds if they want to be a lifestyle business. These ones are all struggles, getting through the first wage. Now, out of here, you can pull up to 250K out of the business, and you will have time management, lovely life, be able to just go in for two hours a day. But what happens is the entrepreneur wants to go more. He wants to open four restaurants. And every morning, a million pounds more you turn is a million pounds more you will struggle because you can't afford the middle management costs, the management that will make the business excellent. Because the first business, the first stage, had the entrepreneur there acting as manager with a semi sort of right hand man. And excellent management are not attracted to a business that only turns three, four, five million. They want to go and work for the business that's at profit and scale, 10 million plus. So this part is a real dangerous part of business where lots of businesses go bust here and they go bust here and here make lots of lovely money. Now here, the bank love these businesses and they'll support it. VCs and investors love these businesses. And here, you're using your own funds again because banks don't like funding startups. So let's have a look over here. So what happens is, is we have returners going back into the lifestyle business because it was easier over there. When you turn every million pounds more, it gets tough. But then once you get up here to profit and scale, you're off again. And guess who comes back in to support a 10 million pound plus business in its growth phase? The bank. So if you are going to go through this struggle phase, this real hard phase, you need to know how to finance it, how to fund it, how to grow it. And that is something that we can teach you. Uh, we haven't got time to talk about that today. It's very difficult. And I always say to people, do you really want a big, massive business that turns 10 million pounds plus where dreams are made of, or do you want a really good, big lifestyle business? Big lifestyle business that pays into your bank account up to a quarter of a million quid a year. And you only have to go in when you want. And then you can probably invest in some commercial property and make a little bit of cash that way to bump up your income. And that is a decision that only you guys can make. Do you want to go for scale or do you want a big lifestyle business? Can't make that decision for you. I, obviously, am in the scale category. But let me tell you now, the bit between two and 10 million is such hard work. Such, such hard work. Forget weekends, forget family, forget a social life. You belong to the business. I just like sharing that with people. A little bit of food for four people. A little bit of food for four. Okay, rule 10, multiple streams of income. Or multiple revenue streams, but I like multiple revenue streams within existing empire. So I just want everyone to shout this out because I want everyone to remember this. I want you to all remember and just shout it out. Shout out existing empire for me. A little bit louder. That's right, because I get the right ump when people are told at seminars and shit like this that they need to do multiple things to bump their income up. So say uh, he's Mr. Trampoline Park man, he's doing really well and he's got his trampoline park, we're rocking, and then he comes and listens to an idiot like me and says, you need multiple revenue streams. And he goes, 
Yeah, I need multiple revenue streams. Uh, I'll go and set up a nightclub. Actually, maybe that could work, actually. No, look, forget that, not a nightclub. Uh, maybe I'm going to go and set up uh, a shropodist clinic. Okay? Because, yeah, the numbers work. Or a fish and chip shop. Over there, it's one of my favourite things, because fish and chip shops are good business. But he owns a trampoline park. He can't fold that into his existing empire. He hasn't got an existing management team in place. He doesn't understand the, the, the premises that he needs for a fish and chip shop. He's a D2 leisure man. He understands leisure. Doesn't fold into existing empire. So when we open new businesses or do new things, we want to make sure there are multiple revenue streams that fold into existing empire. So on my businesses, my play centers, I added day nurseries onto the edge of it. Or I then added laser arenas onto the edge of it. Because they all folded into the existing empire. I had expertise and management within my empire that could help me roll out things. Do not be the business owner, the idiot, that just opens something up that is completely a brand new empire. It is a silly thing to do unless you are a multi-multi-millionaire and have so much money that you need to then go and put that money to work. If you are not in that category, do things that fold into existing empire all the time. It's far easier to leverage your assets. I mean, well, it's people, you must know people that have like, owned a car garage and then they've gone and opened a pub or something like that. Just like they struggle with the bloody pub. And I'm like, because it doesn't fold into your existing empire, dickhead. So it's really important. So we must, must fold it into existing empire. Now, you become a brand to create trust. And this is another thing to fold into existing empire. So your restaurant becomes really successful. And then you open up a second restaurant. And people go, oh, I went to their last restaurant. It's fantastic. Because the brand creates trust. And then there's already customer base there. As to insurance. Tesco insurance, people going there, yeah, we'll buy the insurance product. Marks and Spencer's bank, yeah, we've been buying Marks and Spencer stuff forever. We've got a brand there, we'll carry on banking with them. I mean, that's, I think it's a bloke called Richard Branson who's really good at this stuff. I mean, just forget now what the, some of the stuff that he's got. Um, and obviously, Apple are now doing it. We'll buy our music from Apple and we'll buy our, our phones and our computers and Apple Music and all this stuff. And it all folds into existing empire. Mold, uh, uh, and the brand has helped do other stuff. It's really important. Right. Now, the next thing that I like to do is buy a bad business and make it good. That's something that I absolutely love. Buying businesses for nothing where they're on their ass, turning them round. So I'm going to give you a quick case study. I bought Marsh Farm Animal Adventure Park. That's where I live, actually. Uh, it was turning £900,000 a year, and I bought it for thirty-five grand. Within two years, I turned it into a £2.5 million business, and this year it'll be a £3 million business. Now, yes, I invested half a million pounds worth of cash to help it get there, but there were some big problems. KPI, the, the 900,000 turnover, they were spending three quarters of a million on staff. So I sorted all that out. I systemized it. I processed it. I put the marketing in place. I put the entrepreneurial pizzazz. There are so many failing businesses out there. So many. And nearly every business that's up for sale is a business owner wanting to get out. And deals can be done. Just need to go out there and make yourself known to them. Be a nice person. Be a really good person and help them. Give them some advice. Then they'll like you. Then they'll warm to you. And then they'll say, actually, do you want this business? Because I'll just have enough of it. 
and then you pay them over a period of time. Just one tactic. Now, I, I haven't got time. I can do a whole, and I have done a whole session on this. I haven't got time today, but this is another thing we teach at the Entrepreneurs Network. Next thing, there are two types of businesses, and I, I have sort of changed this now. There's businesses that compete on experience, and there's businesses that compete on price. People that do both always muck up. Always. So Apple will be a compete on experience business. Did anyone go to the Apple sale in January last year? No, you didn't. They didn't do one. They've never done one. Did anyone go to the Rolex 50% off sale? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> or the Ferrari buy one, get one free sale. Oh, it's fantastic. You should have gone. Should have gone. It was brilliant. I bought 10. So they compete on experience and they have a very loyal customer base because of that. They don't have customers that flit. Compete on price businesses would be electricity or in internet or insurance or something like that. And you just, like, who's, the, who's the cheapest for my electric? That is a compete on price business. Now, you can make money when you compete on price. Electric companies, utilities companies, they make money, but they need to earn billions. Now, I'd like to just throw this out there. Can anyone guess what percentage profit Tesco's make on every sale? How much? Four. Four. It's actually 1.6% now. 1.6%. Yeah. No, maybe so. So let's just put this in. Let's go with these 4%. Actually, let's go with his 4% and forget my 1.6% because I don't want to argue with you. I think you're a really nice guy. So, <laughs> we're going to put £100 through the checkout. Tesco's get four quid, 4%. So, what you need to do is then turn millions and billions to make a lot of money. However, Tesco's do turn millions and billions. As do Lidl, as do Audi, millions and billions around Europe, making lots of money. SMEs usually start businesses going, we'll just be cheaper than everyone else, and then everyone will come over to us. But there's no margin in their business. So they end up earning less than they would working for Tesco. They put 100 hours a week in and earn less. If they add up their hourly rate and the stress they put into their business, they're earning less than they would working for a supermarket per hourly rate. It's really important that we don't flit either. So. Your restaurant business, is it, would you say it's a price business or experience business? Experience. Have you ever been tempted to like do deals to drive turnover up? Okay, so I just want to understand this, right? So what happens is, and I've done this in my business, I've got I've got price businesses and experience business. I've got a Christmas grotto experience that turns three quarters of a million quid in 15 days. It is the third, maybe the second, dearest Christmas experience in the country. I can put the price up every year, no one cares. My nurseries, I put the price up. People do care, but they pay it. My play centres and leisure business, put the price up, people go, hmm, there's another provider over there, just does the same as you. Put my laser in, there's another provider over there, just does the same as you. I'll flit, you're a compete on price business. The ones where I've made the most money and been able to look after the customer more and give what I call customer cuddles, lying customer experience businesses. 
So I want to just quickly talk about my Christmas grotto. It's about 40 quid to go and see Father Christmas. You get unlimited time with Father Christmas. Father Christmas is wearing a 500-pound yak beard that's glued on every morning. The elves have got stick-on noses and prosthetic ears. And we give them a Build-A-Bear teddy to take home, which we manufacture. After that, as a surprise, we say, oh, just, you just go through there, madam, and you'll go through the toy shop. And mum goes, he's had too much today. He's not going to go through the toy shop. Madam, they're complimentary of Father Christmas. You didn't tell us this. In toy shop you go. We don't market that. We don't tell people that. That's a surprise on the day. We can do that because we have margin. Now, let's look at Premier Inn or a travel lunch. Do you get a glass of Prosecco on arrival? Or some chocolates on the bed? No. Because they're competing on price. When you go to the Ritz, ladies and gentlemen, there's a free complimentary bottle of champagne. Oh my God, they gave me a free complimentary bottle of champagne. I've only paid £800 to stay here tonight. And I got a free bottle of champers. I love you, Mr Ritz. Far easier to reward and give your customer customer cuddles. Now, lots of small businesses do that when they start out on a compete on price business. The customer loves it, and then they realise, actually, there's not any margin to do this. So we remove all the customer cuddles, and then you just become like everyone else, commoditized and start shopping around again. The Marks and Spencer customer, the John Lewis customer, will always be far more loyal, or the Harrods customer, far more loyal than the Tesco customer. They will flit looking around. That makes sense? Just remember it, because it's really important. I'm writing a whole book about this. Comes out in January. <laughs> Hopefully you'll buy it. So here we go. Marketing. You are a marketeer for sales. That's the next rule, ladies and gents. You are a marketeer for sales, not for branding. Now, I'm not a super expert at marketing, uh, but uh, my, my co-founder of the Entrepreneurs Help, Mark Creaser, who's uh, you know, 50% he is like a marketing genius. I don't know about all the business growth and scale stuff, but Mark's like a really good marketeer. And uh, he's taught me a lot, but what I do know is you market for sales if you're an SME. The stuff Apple do, like I just, you can go past a big billboard of Apple and they just have a picture of an iPhone, nothing else. And I just think, wow. And I think, shit, because I see SMEs thinking, they need to copy what Apple's doing. Or just a picture of the Coca-Cola lorry. And that's it. That marketing doesn't work for SMEs. It works for Coca-Cola on an international basis. It works for Apple on an international basis because they're promoting their brand. Whereas an SME needs to promote sales. Just remember that. I've got to really rush on through. We need a mixture of asset pies, property. I'm a big fan of property. I'm not going to go through the property stuff right now because I've only got four minutes left. Um, and uh, business, cash for opportunities. I'm sorry, guys. We're going to have to rush through this. Um, we want to grow for acquisitions and sales of business. Every business must be built to sell, even if you don't want to sell it. Uh, I haven't got time to talk about that. Um, drone ventures, I haven't got time to talk about that. Mentors, the more you learn, the more you earn. This is a really good phrase. I can't remember who, I think it's... Um, uh, anyway, so mentors, you want to get yourself some really good experienced mentors, not theory-based mentors, experience-based mentors, people that have been there, seen it and done it. Usually these people don't want pain. Now, the worst mentor, the worst mentor is the uncle and auntie that's never been in business. And you listen to them. Go, oh, I wouldn't do that if I was you. 
The risks are tremendous. The risks are tremendous. Auntie Marjorie, she's been cleaning toilets all her life. And she's now your mentor. Block them out, get rid of them. I never listen to any of my family. However, if your uncle is Warren Buffett, then he is worth having as a mentor. Or Uncle Richard, who owns a little company called Virgin. If he is your uncle, take him on as a mentor. But if this person that is giving you advice has done divil stuff in their business life, or never had a single business, or they're a small business owner that has small business mentality, Block them out and never listen to them. Politely just go, oh, thank you very much, and just think, idiot. So don't listen to them. Know this, right? I know shit happens and it always will. Business is a real tough game to be in. The rewards at the end of the day are really good. And some people start businesses and they have a mega amazing first year. And they just think that's going to continue. Other businesses have a real struggle first year. And they slowly go up the trajectory path. But no, there will be bumps along the way. And those bumps are your armour and make you better for the future. And um, I think, <laughs> look at this, work hard, sacrifice yourself to build the business until it's ready, not before. In the beginning, entrepreneurs need to live life like most won't. This is the short-term sacrifice of five to ten years will allow them to live the rest of their life like most just dream about. Getting rich quick is bullshit. The harder and smarter we work, the luckier we get. That's a real powerful little phrase wrote by a really smart guy called James Sinclair, who's really, he's more attractive than he is smart. <laughs> um, so that, that's, uh, 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 that's my little thing. Now, um, I'm doing a little thing today. Uh, this is Mark, by the way, he's my co-founder. Uh, this is the Entrepreneurs Network. We launched it in April 2016. We've got over 200 members. Uh, and membership to our little group is 65 pounds plus fat per month and we give unlimited coaching on the phone for that, you get a one-to-one -one call with me, we produce a, um, a magazine each month, a business growth audio show, I do a seminar each month online, plus four times a year we meet at the O2 in London and uh, in uh, the last one we done, which was in September, we had Barclays Capital there teaching our members how to raise finance. Champagne. Pardon? Champagne, yes. Uh, we chucked in lunch as well. Uh, that's what uh, all our members get. Uh, and then in January, we've got the Bank of England speaking to our members about where they think the economy is going to go in the next year. Um, but today, for just 30, day, 30 days, uh, we give you a 30-day test drive into membership, plus I'll give you a copy of my book for just £20 plus fare. You get a one-to-one -one call with me and unlimited access to the magazine. Just see our team at the back for £20. You get the book, you get membership for a month, see if you like us, no contract, and we'd absolutely love you to join our growing member of fantastic entrepreneurs that are soaring to success in the UK. A fantastic community that meet regularly, that make this lonely life a little bit less lonely. Plus, we've got a secret Facebook group. These are our magazines that we've been bringing out. We call it Engage, properly produced magazine. We've got some copies over there if you want to read some of them. Uh, we do. There's our one-day spectaculars. There's me. Uh, with, uh, we've got Venture Capitalist there, Bank of England, uh, private finance company. There's a, another one we've done at Drayton Manor. We do unlimited marketing reviews with our excellent teams. You just send your marketing in, and they'll review it. Uh, there's new member strategy day. So this stuff that I've been teaching you here today, included in your 20 pounds, will be a full day with me 
teaching you this stuff in far more detail and all the stuff that I missed out, like how to build and buy businesses and all that stuff. So you get to come on that as well. Absolutely invaluable day. And if you don't like us and you don't want to carry on, you just don't have to stay. But I know that you will love us and you'll really get some value from us. Um, unlimited business growth calls with this super sexy chap called Ed Pearson, who's an ex-business owner, big CEO of a big company. Uh, he's come out of that. He's uh, now wants to spend a bit downtime. So he's on the phones helping business owners with all of his success. You get all of that as well. 20 minutes one-to-one -one call with me. That's with me on your business. Uh, it's going to be a really good. And we do the business growth show CD. There we are in the team. Plus members only Facebook copy of my book, Sinclair Sessions, Friday videos, loads and loads and loads. So if you want to take the 30-day test drive for just 20 quid, come and see us over there at the back with Fish and Davina, who are waving now. There's the lovely, uh, sexy Fish and Davina. Um, and uh, we'll be able to talk to you and see if we can get you soaring to success faster than you ever like. I just want to say thank you so much for giving me your time this morning. If you don't like me, I'm really sorry. But if you've had some fun and you've liked some of the stuff that I've taught, um, brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. And thank you for letting an Essex guy come to Stoke. Hands together for Jane Sinclair. Thank you very much. So that was just a great presentation. It was absolutely fantastic to see James speak live at the event. And if you want to hear more of this kind of thing, please do let us know because we're looking for new ideas about new guests to get onto this show. And we really appreciate feedback of those are listening to the show on who you'd like to hear us speak to, interview, topics you'd like to see covered, presenters or speakers you'd like to hear talk in this format. So tweet me at Lilac Films and I look forward to seeing you back to normal next Monday.